Our checks for today is a little bit different from what is listed here. Um, we didn't include parts of chapter two. So um, what I'm going to read today is from Exodus one and two. Um, you can follow along with Exodus three, um, but I want to um, focus on chapters one and two. Starting with verse eight. Now a new king came to power in Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, the Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. As a result, the Egyptians put foremen and of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But they were more, the more that they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread, so much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortars and brick, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. The king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shipra and Pua. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. Now the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the king's order, and instead they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, Why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? The two midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of the mole, of their own. Then Pharaoh gave an order to all his people, throw every baby born to the Hebrews into the Nile River. But you can let all the girls live. Now a man from Levi's household married a Levi woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that the baby was healthy and beautiful, so she hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a reed basket and sealed it up with a black tar. She put the child in a basket and set the baby the basket among the weed, reeds at the riverbank. The baby's older sister stood watch nearby to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river, while her women servants walked along beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent one of her servants to bring it to her. When she opened it, she saw the, saw the child. The boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She said, this must be one of the Hebrews' children. Then the baby's sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, would you like me to go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter agreed, yes, do that. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse it for me, and I will pay you for your work. 
So the woman took the child and nursed it. And when the child had grown up, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I pulled him out of the water. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. There is a story that when the nation of Denmark was occupied by Nazi Germany, an order went out that all the Jews had to wear a yellow star to identify them. The story goes on to say that the plan was, of course, unfortunately, that the Jews were to be rounded up and taken to trains that went to the the death camps. This all disturbed the king of Denmark, so he decided to do something. He decided to wear a yellow star himself. When the people saw the king doing this, others in Denmark started to do this as well, making it impossible to tell the difference of who was a Jew and who wasn't. So the, the attempt by the Nazis to take the Jews was thwarted. This is a wonderful story that has been told over and over. And there is just one problem. It is not true. The story was actually something cooked up. It was propaganda, actually, by Danish Americans to basically give some a, a good picture of the resistance that was actually taking place in Denmark. The real story, though, is far more complicated, but no less heroic. During the occupation, the Danish government severely punished anti-Semitic groups, such as those that were behind the destruction of, uh, by fire of the main synagogue in Copenhagen. In 1943, the Nazi government decided that it was time to round up the Jews. And they decided to do it at probably the perfect time when everyone would be gathered in specific places. And that was going to be on Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, which actually happens to be this day, uh, this evening is when it begins. A German diplomat knew about this, and he leaked word to Danish politicians, who then passed on the message to leaders in the Jewish community. The efforts together were able to warn Danish Jews to not go to synagogue on Rosh Hashanah, but to go into hiding. And because of this, the deportation was largely a failure. Now, this is not as sexy a story as the first one but it is still a great story. In World War II, there were way too many stories of people throughout Europe and outside of Europe who were looking the other way when their Jewish sisters and brothers were threatened. But the Danes saw that everyone was connected. Everyone was of some worth and they were willing to take a risk, to take a stand, to protect the weak. 
This week we are kind of skipping through the Bible, and now we've gone through Genesis, and we are now going into the second book of the Bible, Exodus. Jacob's struggle with God last week moves forward to telling the story of his sons, Joseph and his brothers. They sell Joseph into slavery in Egypt, but God, as the text says, was with Joseph, and he rises to become the second in command in Egypt, to become the Pharaoh's right-hand man. Jacob reconciles with his brothers, and Jacob and his family, Joseph, I say, should reconcile with his brothers, and Jacob and his son's family move to Egypt. Over time, the decades pass, the centuries pass. Jacob's family grows into a people, into a nation. The passage opens saying that a new king comes to power, but he didn't know Joseph. It's interesting because you think that he would, that as a king, he would have some idea of what was the royal history. But for whatever reason, he didn't know and or he didn't care. In Genesis, God had called all of humanity to be fruitful and multiply. And that is what happened. God is for the flourishing of life. But the Pharaoh is the opposite of this. He sees the Israelites as a potential fifth column that would be ready to sell out the Egyptians should there be a war. So he decides to make them slaves. And he calls them to build great cities that would store grain. The grain represents life. And Joseph, by irony, had was one that had the people store grain to fend off a coming famine. And now, irony of all ironies, the Israelites were being called to do the same, but in, case, in here, they were bringing death to themselves. He stops to see, the Pharaoh stops to see the Israelites as guests, but threats that have to be made to heal. And when some group, and it always happens, oppresses another group, a strange thing happens. Both become less human. We see this when the Pharaoh decides that it's not enough to make them slaves. He has to now go to genocide. He wants to kill off all the male babies. No more males, no more Hebrews. But it is then that we hear about two women, Shipra and Pua, and they decide to disobey. The Pharaoh himself comes to get an answer from these two women. He is demanding, why are you not doing what I told you to do? But we learn that these women fear God and decide not to follow the orders of the king. They lie telling the Pharaoh that, well, the Hebrew women are just so strong that by the time they come, they have already given birth. And the passage says that God remembers the two women who were able to thwart the winds 
of the mighty Pharaoh. So his first diabolical plan failed. So now he decides that he's just going to throw all the male babies into the Nile River. So the Pharaoh, again, is using something that was supposed to give life, in this case, water, to make it an instrument of death. But again, there was someone who put a spanner in the works. There was a woman who gave birth to a baby, a Hebrew woman. She hides him for several months, and then when she's not able to hide him, she puts, her down the rib, puts him down the river in the hope that someone will notice the child and care for him. And that happens. Her baby is saved by, of all people, the Pharaoh's daughter. She's the one that takes care of him, saving him from a watery grave. We keep going on and we find out in chapter 3, which we didn't read today, that this man becomes or is Moses. We will learn later that God has heard the cry of the Israelites and God has a plan and it will be through Moses that the people will be freed. Did you notice something when I read this? Chapter in, in these two chapters, God isn't visible, or at least it might feel or seem that God isn't visible. But is God really silent? And of course, the answer there is no. God is very much active. God does care. But how God moves in the world is not always through thunder and lightning. Sometimes the way that God moves is like very much like how the Danes did when it came to the Jews in very subtle ways. Sometimes it might be in the form of two women, two people who may be considered nobodies, who decided not to obey the mighty Pharaoh and lie in order to save the Hebrew people. And God remembers these women because they fear God. And then God works in the most ironic of all forms, through the Pharaoh's own daughter. When he tries to use another method to get rid of the male Hebrews, God raises up more women in Moses' sister, in Moses' mother, and then, of course, in Pharaoh's daughter. There are two ways to respond to events such as this, fear or compassion. The Pharaoh was ruled by fear. He was frightened of the Hebrews. He didn't know who they were, and he didn't seem to care who they were. And worrying that they would rise up and defeat the Egyptians and basically kick him out of power, he let his fear do the talking. And history is filled with leaders who are scared of losing power, and they will do whatever it takes to stay in power, even if it means killing people. They let fear to drive them. And in that process, they start to see someone, see people as less 
than human, which means that in the end, they become less human. Fear has a way of bringing a world of hurt to everybody. It goes against God's creation. It becomes to make the oppressed and the oppressor less human. But then there are the women. They were not powerful, and they each faced danger for taking a risk. But they feared God and not humanity. They were committed to following God because they saw someone, anyone, as a person of worth and value. The Christian walk is one of discipleship. It is about choosing to follow Jesus and that we choose to follow even when there are challenges. God's only son came to earth to live with us and then was crucified and died for us. How Jesus lived and died and rose again shows us a map of how we are to live. It doesn't mean necessarily that we, what we do means that we are going to die. But our lives may call us to take a risk in the same way that these women did. The question that we have to deal with is, who are we afraid of? Are we afraid of God or are we afraid of each other? Are we going to fear God and follow even though it will cost at times or do we choose to fear the other? Our call as Christians is grounded in our baptism. And we are called to live as Jesus lived and be willing to give all for God's world. I'm always fascinated in some traditions that they, they use certain rites during the time of baptism. And that is a reminder for that person who is being baptized and also for all those gathered of how we are called to live in a certain way, to follow Jesus in a certain way. I wanted to share one of those this morning, and this one actually comes from the, our Lutheran friends. And this is what it says. Do you intend to continue in the covenant God made with you in holy baptism to live among God's faithful people to hear the word of God and share in the Lord's Supper, to proclaim the good news of God in Christ through word and deed, to serve all people following the example of Jesus, and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. And the public responds, we do, and we ask God to help and guide us. And that is what we are called to do, especially in this time. We ask God to help and guide us. We ask God to help us to see each other, regardless of who that other is, as part of God's creation and worthy of respect and care. Pharaoh was powerful, but he was alone. Shifra and Pua, Moses' mother, Moses' sister, and the Pharaoh's daughter 
all knew that God's creation was interconnected, that it is about more than us. Our sermon series this fall is about the concept of Ubuntu. I am because you are. Because we understand the connections, we cannot, as Christians, see someone else as less than. There is a poem that I always find fascinating because it is important to talk about who we are and that we are not all on our own. It is just not me, myself, and I. The poem is by the English poet John Donne, and some of you may know it. It's No Man is an Island. No Man is an Island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or thine own were. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls thee. Creation is connected. The Pharaoh, as powerful as he was, didn't know that. But as Christians, we do. We are part of God's creation. We are more than just ourselves. In this time where there is fear of the other, may God give us the courage of Shipra and Pua and Moses' mother and Moses' sister and Pharaoh's daughter and all of the Danes and Germans who worked to keep Jews safe. May they be our witnesses to give us courage to care for everyone because in God's eyes, everyone matters. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.